stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, his life for mine, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by, or could be translated in, the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited the days of Noah while the ark was preparing. We're in a few. That is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now, y'all don't get in a ditch. I'll explain that in a minute. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Does that remind you this morning? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Father, would you speak very personally to us tonight? Father, I'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you remember in verse 17... He said in verse 17, it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing and not for evil-doing. And so he laid out in verse 17 that there are times when it is the will of God that you and I go through a time of suffering. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. And so to think that as a child of God, I'll never have to suffer is to think erroneously because it's just not true. Because there are times God will allow and even times God may even initiate that we have to go through deep times of trouble and trials. But what's encouraging for you and I is to know what verse 18 says. And you say, why is verse 18 so important? Because listen, watch what it says. For Christ also hath once suffered. So I want you to look first at the identification of Christ. So anything God allows you and I to go through, I want you to listen to me. Don't hold a candle to what Jesus went through. And so anything God allows us to go through, I'm glad that I have a high priest that understands my infirmity. And I'm glad that I have one that has treaded the road before me. Now, why did Christ have to suffer? It was the will of God. 
Isaiah 53 says that it was the Lord that bruised his son. It was Yahweh God that bruised the Lord Jesus. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought it was the Romans. Oh, no. It was God the Father that bruised his son, the Lord Jesus. And so it was the will of God that Jesus had to endure what Jesus endured. But as I said this morning, whenever it's God's will, there is a divine purpose in which God wants to accomplish. Now, for you and me, sometimes that means God wants to do something in us, or it may be that God wants to use us, that God can do something in somebody else's life. But God has a divine purpose for everything he allows and everything he initiates. And so we have to look in verse 18. It says, if Christ also suffered, then what was God's purpose? Well, this deals with the substitution of Christ. Because here's what it says. For Christ also once suffered for sin. Now this word once has this idea. An event that never had to be repeated. It has the idea of something that is not an ongoing thing, not a perpetual thing, but it's something that Christ went through once and God said you'll never have to go through it again. Now you have to understand, in contrast with the Levitical system, this was an amazing thing because thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of sacrifices would be brought to the temple. Some for worship, some to take care of sin. And these sacrifices would be a perpetual sacrifice before the Lord. Can I tell you, there could never be a time when there wasn't a sacrifice upon the altar of God. It had to be a perpetual sacrifice. But aren't you glad today that when Jesus Christ became our substitute, that God the Father looked down upon Jesus, the Lamb of God, and said, listen, I don't need anything else. I don't need any other sacrifice. I'm perfectly satisfied with the sacrifice of my son. And what do you mean by substitute? The just for the unjust. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, listen, folks. Jesus Christ didn't just die for you. He died as you. When Jesus Christ hung on that cross, listen, it's as if every born-again child of God that would ever come into the family of God was hanging on that cross and God the Father saw your sin and my sin because there was nothing of Jesus' sin to see. Because there was no sin. And the just died for the unjust. And he took your place. And he took my place. And this was the purpose of God the Father and Jesus suffering once for our sins. So you see the identification of Christ. You see the substitution of Christ. But notice the invitation of Christ. That he might 
bring us to God. Oh, I want to tell you something. The key word of this verse is bring. Because it goes back to a historical backdrop that means this. In that day, the king's court or the king's men solely controlled who could ever have appearance with the king. In other words, somebody couldn't just walk in and see the governor of Rome, or somebody could not walk in and see the king of Israel. It was very much a guarded thing by the king's men. And here's the picture. Christ Jesus once suffered for sin, and he died the just for the unjust, that through his death, dying, giving himself in our place, that now, by invitation only, we can now be ushered into the throne of grace and ushered into a co-relationship with the Father. In other words, your salvation is through Christ. Your salvation is by Christ. And your salvation is only due to Christ. So Christ Jesus, as he hung on the cross, was beckoning by his blood, come, come, come unto me. You see, it's, a, it's an amazing truth that we find. Jesus Christ gave us access to a holy God. Who the Bible says no one could look upon and live. And Jesus gave us access to a holy God who no one could look up on and live. You say, well, how in the world did I get access to God who could not be looked upon and live? Because you got access through His righteousness, by His death, through His righteousness. Jesus Christ ushered us into the throne room. That we could not just know Him, but we could be reconciled to him. Think about it. The Bible says we were at enmity against God in our lawsuit. And here's what Jesus did. He took all your sin that caused you to be against God in his holiness. He bore it upon himself. God the Father saw it slammed down the gavel and said, it is done. It's accepted. Jesus said, it is finished. You say, why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus knew God the Father accepted the sacrifice. And now, by that alone, he gave us his righteousness, that now a holy, righteous God who cannot, could not even look upon his son when he became our sin, now could not only have fellowship with you and fellowship with me, 
but only on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all think it was good that God's will was that Jesus suffered? You see, this is the the backdrop to this text. But now, for this invitation to become reality, watch what it says. There's a pathway that had to be traveled. Being put to death in the flesh. Now, he deals with two things here. And I've taught you this many times before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Remember, the curse of Adam involved two deaths, not just one. Adam died spiritually immediately when he fell. He died physically eventually. If Adam would have never failed, he would have never experienced physical death. So guess what? Jesus Christ had to die in the flesh. He had to die physically. And he did. It was the only way. For the wages of sin is what? And you say, well, preacher, that means separation from God. It does. But he had to die physically because that was the curse of Adam. And in dying physically, listen, it says he was quickened by the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to go into depth with this, but the Greek is a very unique way in which this reads in the Greek. And it speaks of a contrast between him dying in the flesh. In other words, when it says he was quickened by the Spirit, if this is talking about his bodily resurrection, it would have said he died in the flesh and God rose his flesh or rose his body. But he didn't. He said he quickened him by or in the Spirit. Because remember what happened when Jesus became our sin. His fellowship with God was severed. Y'all remember that? Taught this before. His fellowship with God was severed. And when his fellowship with God was severed, listen, everybody's fellowship is solely dependent upon the person of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus could not say, Father, he could only say, my God, my God. But aren't you glad today, before he finished dying physically, yet there came a moment on the cross where there was a spiritual renewal, a spiritual renewing of that fellowship with God. And Jesus Christ, who could only say, my God, my God, could now say, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And now the spiritual death of Adam has been overturned. The physical death of Adam has been overturned. And here's the reality. There was a pathway that had to be traveled. But with this pathway traveled, the only way he could reconcile us to a holy God is there had to be a powerful triumph. I've got news for you today. You better be glad that God the Father approved the death of his son. You better be glad that God the Father not only quickened Jesus in his spirit, but quickened his body on the third day. You better be glad that Jesus Christ not only rose in a way where he had fellowship with his father again, but yet his body got out of that grave because now through his life and his life alone could you and I be reconciled to a holy God. I mean, it's glorious. There had to be a powerful trial. 
over death, over hell, and over the grave. So we see the identification of Christ. We see the substitution of Christ, the invitation of Christ. Oh, but I want you to look at the proclamation of Christ. Watch what it says. By which also <laughs> he went and preached under the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient. So what took place? Oh, sometime between his dying physically and his resurrection physically. Sometime in that three-day period while he was in the grave, the Bible says that he descended into the heart of the earth and he preached the captivity captive. And you say, what did he preach? What did he proclaim? Just means he heralded, he proclaimed. You say, what did he proclaim? Two things. Number one, he proclaimed the triumph of his resurrection to those that were his but at the same time, I want to tell you what he proclaimed. He proclaimed absolute demise of Satan and his angels. Can you imagine? Satan all through the scriptures tried to stamp out the seed of the woman. And even Genesis 3, 17 said that, listen, he would bruise him. But he, listen, here's what happened. When Jesus went into hell, the Bible says he went to get the keys of death and hell and the grave. And can you imagine when Jesus showed up to the, to the uttermost parts of the heart of the earth where the, those that were in Abraham's bosom were resting. Can you imagine when Jesus showed up? Satan probably thinking, we've won, we've won. And Jesus showed up and said, no, you lost. Give me the keys. And that's the reason when Jesus resurrected from the dead, the graves opened up and all the Old Testament saints got out of the graves, began to walk around Jerusalem. And when Jesus ascended the first time, then guess what? They ascended with him. And now from the heart of the earth to the being present with God. Because God was satisfied. His will was done. Well, there was a proclamation that was made. Well, notice, fifthly, the illustration of Christ. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. How many of you agree that Jesus could have convinced Satan before he ever went to the cross that Satan was fighting a battle of futility? He could have. What happened in the days of Noah? Well, God pronounced judgment. Pronounced it to Noah. And Noah, 120 days. The Bible says preached righteousness. 120 years. 
What did I say, Dave? I told you. Yet this morning's message blew my mind, and I told somebody I was going to put Moses on the ark tonight. I almost did. <laughs> 120 years he preached righteousness. What did he preach? Judgment and deliverance. Why was God so patient? How many converts did Noah have? None if you don't count eight members of his family. So why did God wait that long? You say, well, it took 120 years to build the ark. You think God couldn't have got around that? So why did he wait? Because every soul that died in that flood could never stand before God and say, I didn't know. Here, what do we see? We see an illustration of God's grace. God's patience. But then it says, eight souls were saved by water. This is the separation with Christ. Why is that significant? Here's why it's significant. Because Noah and his family became immersed within the atmosphere of judgment. But yet they were immersed within God's atoning grace of an ark. And therefore, Noah and his family, listen, rose above the judgment of God and sailed through the judgment of God. And so water judged, but water saved. Because Noah and his family were within the ark of God. And the whole ark picture is atonement. The Bible says that Noah was to take pitch and put it on the inside and the outside. The word pitch in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word we get atonement for. And Noah's family were protected from the flood, from the rain, and from the judgment. Let me put it to you more, more clearly. God pulled Noah and his family out of judgment and separated them from not only judgment, but from the sinfulness and the wickedness of man. Now, I've always thought in my mind, I can't imagine what it was like for Noah and his family as people would cling to the ark and beg Noah to open the door. 
But Noah preached for 120 years. And nobody listened. I wonder how many people that have heard preaching year after year after year after year, but they still don't listen. Because one day, God's going to shut the door of grace. And by the way, it wasn't Noah that shut the door. The Bible says God shut the door. God said it's over. In my grace, I gave him 120 years. And it's over. Well, this illustration sets up verse 21. So now we can understand verse 21. Because 21 deals with the purification of Christ. Watch what it says, a like figure. Now, you say, what is that word like figure? It's the Greek word we get the English word any type from. In other words, it's a shadow or an image that describes. One Bible scholar put it this way. It's something that describes a heavenly reality in an earthly meaning. So in other words, it's not saying this is literally true. What it's saying is this has a message that is typified in the illustration. So what is the message? The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Now, let me ask you a question today. There's a lot of people, matter of fact, there's four denominations right now that I know of that believe in what's called baptismal regeneration. Now you say, what is baptismal regeneration? Here's what it means. It means that they believe that is the water of the baptism that washes away the sin of the person. And therefore, they believe that if someone has never been baptized, they've never been saved. Well, I'll tell you, if that is true, the thief on the cross was in trouble. All right, so number one, that's not true. You say, why is that not true? It says right here, baptism saves us. No, it's giving you an antitype. It's giving you a shadow. It's giving you an illustration that as Noah and his family, the eight, were saved by water, that in a shadow, you and I, when we are truly baptized, we are making a proclamation of what God did in us, not on the outward, not on the flesh of the outward body, but of what God did in us inwardly. Because listen... God can take away the sins that are true of your flesh, but if God don't deal with the root of your flesh, which is your heart, then can I tell you, you're still defiled. So it's not talking about an outward cleansing. Listen, I can go in that baptism all day long. I'm going to come out squeaky clean on the body, but I can still be wretched in the heart. And so what he's saying here is this, that... There is a purpose in baptism. And you say, what's the purpose? It is a purpose of a, a profession or an outward a, a showing of what God did on the inside. That God purged me inside, not outside. God made me a new creation. And then he proves it. 
He says, not putting away the filth of the flesh, but in contrast, the answer of a good conscience towards God. Now, here's the pledge of baptism. Here's what this says. The word answer can be translated three ways. It can be translated request. It can be translated appeal. Or it can be translated pledge. And you say, well, preacher, what does that mean? Here's what it means. That baptism shows forth to those around us, those that we're a part of in the family of God, that there has been something that transpired in me. There was a moment in time when I saw myself through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I appealed unto God. I, I, I requested unto God. God, I, listen, I'm wretched. I'm a sinner. I'm defiled within. Oh, God, would you cleanse me? And let me tell you what God did. God come and purged your conscience by the sprinkling of his blood. And God gave you a clean conscience before himself. which is what we talked about this morning. And so if that's never happened, then God hadn't done a work. See, baptism's more than just me saying, well, I line up with Jesus. I know a lot of lost people that say that. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Baptism is pronouncing death. Baptism says this is who I used to be. Oh, but let me tell you something. I've been buried with Christ. I died with Christ. I'm not that person anymore. But not only that, but I've rose with Christ. And I'm not who I used to be. In other words, this is who I was before God saved me. Oh, but I got news for you. This is who I am now. My curse, my conscience has been purged. My sin has been forgiven. Oh, listen. I am redeemed. And none of this is possible without the resurrection of Christ. If all Jesus did was die, you could still, and God was satisfied with his death. Like every other sacrifice that was brought in the Old Testament, then here's what would be true. You could still... Get forgiveness. But you could never have life or fellowship with God. And you could never be a new creation. You would be like Israel in the Old Testament. Walked away, walked around for one year, their sins were covered. But their sins were still there. Every year they'd have to bring another atonement sacrifice. Their sins would be covered, but their sins were still there. But aren't you glad today because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that not only are our sins covered, our sins have been taken away. Amen. And now we can have a right relationship with God. 
Aren't y'all glad it was God's will that Jesus suffer? Lastly, and I'm done, the exaltation of Christ. Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and power being made subject unto him. Oh, listen. Jesus Christ has been exalted. And he's seated which means the work is finished. The priest stood daily, bringing one sacrifice after another, but this man, once and for all, and sat down. He didn't need to stand anymore. It's finished. God took care of it. God said it's settled. And can I tell you something? If you're saved today, Ephesians 2 says you're seated with him. That means you got in on everything that his saving work, his redeeming work, his death, burial, and resurrection accomplished. Hey, listen, you get in on him being your advocate. You get in on him being your high priest. You get in on him being your life. You get in, in on him being your everything. Here's the reality. When God saved you, he didn't just give you something. He placed you in something. And when he placed you in Christ, he placed Christ in you. And now whatever's true of Christ can be true about you. My, what a God we serve. And he is in authority over all things. Gospel says God the Father has entrusted all judgment unto him. He humbled himself. And God exalted him. He lowered himself. And God exalted him. Do you understand the privilege of being redeemed? Do you understand the magnitude of being redeemed? Do you understand the grace that was required for you and me to be redeemed? But the only way it could happen is the will of God. Christ had to suffer. But praise God, only once, never again. Father, I truly do stand amazed. I truly do stand in awe of your provision for us through Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that you didn't allow Christ to endure what he endured just that our outward flesh could be cleansed. The only way we'd have victory, the only way we'd have victory over sin was you had to deal with the root of our sin. You had to deal with our old Adamic nature. 
You had to deal with our heart. As we know from Jeremiah, Father, you couldn't cure our defiled heart, so you gave us a new heart. And all that's only possible because of the resurrection of your son. So, Father, I ask, right here, right now, who in here don't have a good conscience before God? Who's never came to a place of utter brokenness that they appealed to you in the desperation of their helpless and hopeless state? I can't save myself. I'm a sinner. I'm wicked. I'm wretched. Oh, God, would you help me? And Father, you gave them a new heart. And with a new heart, you gave them a clear conscience before you. And Father, day after day after day, they took part in the invitation that came from the cross of entering into the throne room and fellowshipping with you, a holy God. It's their passion. It's their longing. It's their heartbeat. That a God that don't need me would want to commune with me. Father, that's the reason it's called grace. So, Father, maybe there's folks in here today that are truly saved, but, Father, their, their windows are dirty. And Father, for whatever reason, this morning, they just didn't feel like they needed to wash them in your word. Maybe tonight they need just a good old time of confession and repentance before you. Father, anybody in this place that just, they know in their heart because you're dealing with them. I'm not right. I have no relationship with God. Oh, I know about him. I know much about him. But to say I know him in intimate fellowship and relationship, I don't. Father, you, through your Son, tonight, by your Holy Spirit, you're ready to bring them to yourself, a holy God. Do your work for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name.